It's basically the calmness of one's heart when it comes to the da'wah. How can that be achieved? How can it be done? It always, it never fails. That question comes up, how can we overcome the stress and anxiety in our lives? I've come across brothers and sisters both who've asked me saying, I prayed my salah, I fasted Ramadan, but yet I have that anxiety within me, that stress, that depression. We want you to live the da'wah. Living the da'wah is the way forward, is the way out, is the way that you can achieve that happiness within yourself. If you're going to have a split personality where at home in private, I'm being the best Muslim I can be, but publicly, I don't want anyone to know, that's a problem. No, I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabih wa ala man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yumiddin wa ba'd Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yassirli amri wahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli Before I do begin, I just want to say Jazakallah khairan Shaykh Adnan It's a really provocative and thought-provoking thought, uh, talk, Alhamdulillah Hopefully we all take it to heart and inshallah work upon that vision now that said the topic that i have is to an extent interconnected with the topic i'll just rephrase it in essence it's basically the calmness of one's heart when it comes to the da'wah how can that be achieved how can it be done so i want to get into the topic by quoting to you a statement for imam ibn hazm rahmatullahi alayhi, that i found profound as you know looking at mental health from an islamic perspective this statement stands out. He's speaking about people at large. He said, He said, essentially, that I sought, you know, something that all people would look at and, you know, really hold close and dear to them. After looking into it, I found it only one thing, and that is people seeking to overcome that anxiety, that stress that they may encounter and have. Now, it always, it never fails. That question comes up, how can we overcome the stress and anxiety in our lives? I've come across brothers and sisters both who've asked me saying, I prayed my salah, I fasted Ramadan, but yet I have that anxiety within me, that stress, that depression. Oh, you can look at this in multiple ways. You can address it on an individual basis because everyone, they have their own difficulties in life. You know, when we address those difficulties specifically, we can really come to the source cause of that stress and that anxiety and resolve it in that manner, alhamdulillah. But in general, when looking at how to overcome that stress, it's not simply on account of performing prayers because many perform the prayers and yet they have that anxiety. No doubt it is a key component of who you are as a Muslim. For indeed you'll be questioned by Allah Azza wa Jal on Yawm Al-Qiyamah for the prayers that you performed. Are they complete? We know this is the first thing that you will be questioned about. But I do want to touch on you know, the importance of immersing yourself in da'wah, living here in the West. Sometimes you think you perform the prayers by yourself, no one knows anything. 
You keep your identity hidden as best you can. And then as you're progressing, be it in your studies, at your workplace, you hear certain things and you're afraid to address them, to speak out. That has an impact upon you in general. You feel that pressure, that stress coming even worse, subhanAllah. So it's just not a matter of praying secretively. Rather, we want you to live the da'wah. Living the da'wah is the way forward, is the way out, is the way that you can achieve that happiness within yourself. If you look at the Prophet and what he endured during the Meccan period, it was not, an, not easy, nor was it a walk in the park. Difficulty upon difficulty, yet we find the Prophet in a state of happiness. The Sahaba, when they endured the pain they endured in Mecca, they, were, they had that fulfillment, that contentment with what? With their deen, by living their faith. And this is the important thing. If you're going to have a split personality where at home in private, I'm being the best Muslim I can be, but publicly, I don't want anyone to know, that's a problem. That's an issue. You're going to have that stress, no doubt, from that, the two sides that you're carrying, subhanAllah. I want to share with you one story that I find really, really, subhanAllah, it falls in this, uh, on, in this topic, and that is the story of Thumama ibn Uthal, radiyallahu an, and how he came to Islam. Now, of course, in the, you know, the Meccan period, Quraysh was doing their utmost to really discourage anyone from looking at Islam. They spread lies about the Prophet himself. Their approach was basically to snuff out the da'wah in its roots before it went out beyond the boundaries of Mecca. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has plans that no one can overcome. So subhanallah, when they shifted to Medina and they settled in Al-Medina, we found that Allahu Akbar, the da'wah began to spread. Thumam al-Duthal comes into this time period where the Prophet is in Al-Madinah. The Mushrikun of Quraysh are doing their utmost to deter anyone from accepting Islam, from even looking at Islam in a positive way. As this was taking place, Thumam al-Duthal decided to perform the Umrah. And of course, back then there was no signs or posts that you follow like we have today one set road that takes you from one area to the next. You're just walking or you're on your camel and you're going between the sand dunes, most likely following the stars to see which direction you should take. It just so happened he veered off course. Instead of heading towards Mecca, he's now on a course towards Al-Madinah. The sentries, the Sahaba who were posted at the outer limits of Al-Madinah, they saw this stranger moving towards them. They went and they asked him, who are you? Now he did not inform them who he was because he knew he might have been on a hit list. Keep in mind, Thumama ibn Uthal, he tried to kill the Prophet He was unsuccessful in that. He killed some of the companions. He was the king of his area, Abu al-Yamam. So here, he kept silent. They brought him, he was suspicious. They brought him towards the Prophet in al-Madinah. When the Prophet saw him, he recognized him. He said, this is Thumama ibn Uthal. Ya Rasulullah, what should we do with him? They knew who he was by name, but not by face. 
What should we do with him? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, be good to him. He you know, told them to take care of him. So he was basically tied to a pillar whereby he could, and this is profound. Keep in mind, all that he knew about Islam was what he had heard from Quraysh, from that propaganda machine, spreading the rumors, the lies about the Prophet, about the deen, about the Muslims. So that's all he had. But now when he had that chance to have that one-on-one -on -one whereby he could see and observe for himself, we see him shifting from that hatred and that animosity that he had towards a position of love and desire towards the Ummah subhanAllah. So the Prophet on the first day asked him, what have you to say for yourself, O Thumama? And he said, nothing. I'm a man who's rich, I can take care of your needs. If you kill me, my, my people come back and basically avenge my death. The first day, the second day, the third day, the same conversation. All the while, Thumama was taken care of. He got to see the interactions between the Muslims, how they behaved among themselves, that brotherhood, that bond. Subhanallah, after the third day he was released, he didn't go too far. He performed the wudu as he had seen the Sahaba do. And he came back and he said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa annaka rasulullah. I bear witness that there's no God worthy of worship but Allah Azza wa Jal and that you are the messenger of Allah. Subhanallah. He then went on to say, that before this interaction, your deen, your city, you yourself were the most despised things before me. I utterly hated everything about you, your city, your deen. But now, these are the most beloved things to me. Why the change? Simply put, he was able to observe the Muslims in their own element as they interacted with each other. They lived Islam. They lived that da'wah. They had that fulfillment, that contentment. Now, I just want you to hold that thought in your minds as you transition from Thumama ibn Uthan to ourselves today. Let's say a non-Muslim comes to observe the mess that we have in certain masajid. They're infighting, they're yelling, the manhajism, if I can use that word, the, the, that, you know, obvious discord among many within one community. If they were to see this, would they be drawn towards Islam or would they be repelled from Islam? Think about it. Many take Islam simply as a custom, a norm that we do. Perform the prayers, we're good. Fasting, we're good. But when it comes to the basics, the conduct, the manners that we should uphold, between ourselves, that's non-existent to a great extent. It may be existent among your friends, but with a stranger, no. Wallahi, I've entered certain masajid. It's, you know, you enter, you exit. Wallahi, not a single person will give you salam. Not exaggerating here. You enter, you exit as if you're a stranger. Not a single salam. Other masajid? It's not just not having salam. People begin to eyeball you. What are you doing here? You, know, you, you don't hear the words, but then you just feel that tension. You want to get out as quickly as you've come in, subhanAllah. That's sad. It, it's telling as well, because we've drifted so far from the guidance of the Prophet 
So in all truth, if someone was to come and observe us in the same way, to have that one-to-one, most or more times than not, you'll find them repelled from Islam. They would have no interest in Islam. In fact, in one of the books that I read for one of the scholars, Muhammad ibn Ismail, his book is called Ulu al-Himma. In it, he spoke of an instance where a person had entered a masjid in a certain country. And it just so happened that there were two groups of brothers sitting there in their own circles. The person entered the masjid and he said, I want to become Muslim. Now, what happened next was kind of shocking. I, I, you wouldn't expect it. So the brothers were from two different madhabs. You have the brothers who were from the Shafi'i madhab and others from the Hanafi madhab. And they began arguing that he'll become Muslim and follow our fiqh. No, no, he's going to follow our fiqh. Our fiqh is more superior to your fiqh. And as they're fighting, this guy said, you know what? I changed my mind. Good luck and bye. Walks out the masjid, subhanAllah. It's saddening, subhanAllah. And truly, we've drifted from the hadi and the guidance of the Prophet Now to bring this back to our topic, wherein we said that through the da'wah, you would achieve that calmness, the calmness of one's heart, that tranquility, that peace. We all yearn that peace, that tranquility, that calmness within our lives. I contend that this can be achieved only when a Muslim is fully immersed in their deen, living it as the Prophet lived his life, going through that day in, day out, giving da'wah, living da'wah, in that way you would achieve that peace, that calm and that tranquility. When we're not doing that, we have that, you know, that, that discrepancy in our own character. And often this is what happens, people who feel conflicted. Why? They're not sure, should I behave this way or that way? I'm not, I didn't know what to, how to conduct myself. And these are some of the key issues that do come up when people face, or among young people that is, who face anxiety, stress, maybe some depression to a certain extent, but overall these do come up, come up often when you're not living your life as truthfully as you can. Now, I do want to move on to what Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah mentioned regarding this as well. It's quite interesting. He spoke about, you know, the heart and the condition of the heart whereby one can achieve that fulfillment, that contentment. And he mentions that certain individuals will find that contentment through a ta'aleem and a ta'allum that's their thing, alhamdulillah, whereby now they're, they're you know, teaching, they're learning, and they're achieving that level of calmness, that peace, that tranquility, coming close to Allah Azza wa Jal, alhamdulillah. Others might not be their thing, but they might look at dhikr, qira'atul Qur'an, and he goes through a list of ibadat, and in the very end of that list, he spoke of basically da'wah. Now, da'wah, when you do it, you live it, you're actually doing something significant because you're walking in the footsteps of the Anbiya and the Rusul. That was their calling. That was their duty. So when you upkeep and take that mantle of da'wah, you're actually walking in their footsteps, treading in their path. And no doubt, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, as you do that, the reward is there and that satisfaction and fulfillment likewise would be there, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Now, I just want to I have one last thing. I don't want to be less than half an hour, but I have one last thing, inshallah. And this is in regards to some of the questions that have come up in the past week. 
You know, alhamdulillah, it's been an amazing week. Going to different cities, alhamd, meeting with many, many brothers and sisters who, mashallah, have a zeal and passion for da'wah. You know, I, at times you, you're, look, you're all, we're all human beings. You know, I have felt that negativity at times and you have to kind of really control it and fix yourself before you proceed giving da'wah to anyone else. But yeah, at times you do see that negative side and you might kind of buy into it and give into it further, which brings you down to a certain extent. What I'm getting at is, subhanAllah, this week has been amazing. Where for me, it's been therapeutic because I've been able to look with a very positive outlook, alhamdulillah. I recall what one of my mashayikh mentioned to me, and I always hold on to this, when I kind of fall back on the path of negativity. When I went to meet him in Riyadh, he asked me, as he usually did when I would visit him, how's the da'wah? And that last time I spoke with him, I just gave it to him and I was real. I said to him, listen, Shaykhna, subhanAllah, I give da'wah, we give da'wah, but all that you do, with all that you do, you don't see much of a result. So I'm really at a point, Shaykh, that I feel like, you know, maybe giving up to a certain extent. The Shaykh said, you shouldn't be saying that. He said, look, all you are required to do when it comes to da'wah is to do your part sincerely. That's it. The results, it's not in your hands. It's in the hands of Allah When you put those seeds down and you're truthful and sincere, Allah will make or put the barakah in that da'wah and it will go far and wide. Look at the Prophet He told me, Contemplate what the Prophet did when he gave the da'wah. Where did it basically, the limits of the Islamic State end at that time? It didn't go to Europe or Asia. It was within a certain confines. But no doubt, the sincerity of the Prophet who is no doubt our role model. We take by what he has said, what he has done. We've seen how far and wide this da'wah has reached every corner of the globe, subhanAllah. So for us to fall back upon that, know that subhanAllah, when you do your part sincerely, Allah Azza wa Jal would take care of you, bless you and bless your da'wah as well. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us all success in dunya and in the akhirah.